Did the sun ever come up this morning? This morning we might not have to ask that question, but sometimes it doesn't feel like the sun arose. Sometimes it feels as though we really do have to ask that question. Sometimes we may wonder why the world is continuing to turn, why the sun keeps appearing on the horizon, why a rain cloud seems perpetually over our own head. Sometimes hope feels dead. Father Maximilian Kolbe was born Raymond Kolbe in Poland in 1894, but it's the story of his death that has stayed with us long since. It was when he became a Franciscan friar that he was given the name Maximilian. He was an avid learner, earning doctorates in philosophy and theology while also studying mathematics and physics. As so many religious people find deeper relationships with various aspects of the divine or people who have been said to have been divine, it was the image of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who most spoke to Father Colby. He is said to have seen a vision of her as a child, foretelling that he would both persevere in purity and become a martyr. He's also said to have sung to her in the days leading up to the latter coming true. When the Nazi army invaded Poland at the start of World War II, he housed refugees in his friary, including 2,000 Jews. He was arrested by the Gestapo in 1941, and within a few months, he was sent to Auschwitz. There he was known as Prisoner 16670. Not long into his stay in the prison camp, three men went missing and were presumed to have escaped. It was determined that an example should be made to deter future escape attempts, so the men from each of their bunks were marched out and ten men were chosen at random. They were to be starved to death in an underground bunker. An example. Father Colby wasn't chosen. But when one of the men exclaimed, my wife, my children, Father Colby volunteered to take his place. Some say he explained that he was old and had no family. He was 47. So he joined the other nine men in the bunker to be starved to death. He's said to have led mass and prayers and songs while there. When the guards passed through, he was seen kneeling in the middle of the room in prayer. When the others were too weak, he sang alone. After two weeks, only he remained alive. His comrades fell one by one. When it was determined that the space he occupied was needed, he was killed by lethal injection. 
40 years later in the presence of the man who cho- whose life he had saved. He was canonized as a martyr by the Catholic Church. When all hope was lost, when painful death was certain, somehow he did not falter. He chose to take the place of a man who would leave behind a grieving family. He offered comfort and peace to the men around him as they died. He felt that he had been meant to be there all along. So he did not seem to fear his fate. He sang to his beloved Mary, finding strength in the depth of his love for her. And though all of his hope was indeed lost, it would seem, and his life was taken for him. Was it in vain? It was a tragic waste, but was it in vain? For his story has brought hope and strength to so many since. His death was brought about to set an example, and indeed it did not an example to strike fear in the hearts of those imprisoned, but an example to so many people of how faith can carry you through the darkest, most painful, and fearful of times. Reminding us that when so much can be taken from us, we can hold on to our compassion, our dignity, our hope reminding us that while there's so much that is unknown and there's so much that is out of control, how we greet each day matters. How we respond to what comes our way matters. Father Colby's story lives on. And so his example lives on. For him to have become a saint testifies to this fact, as people inspired by his life had to prove him worthy of such an honor. He inspired people enough that they would fight for his memory, that they would believe him to, be ins- to have inspired miracles in their lives, that they would seek his life to be praised. And so he lives. In 1928, a bill was passed by a Maine, the Maine legislature condemning the villages of Flagstaff, Dead River, and Bigelow. It authorized the creating of Flagstaff Lake in place of these villages by constructing Long Falls Dam. The homes and property that would be destroyed were claimed by the process of eminent domain. It was 20 years, though, before the dam was constructed. Time for the city to negotiate settlements with the residents for their homes and land, though some settlements were not reached until shortly after the flooding. But in those 20 years, what happened to the cities was unsurprising. The homes that were to be vacated crumbled. All repairs stopped or were done as short-term Band-Aid solutions. It no longer seemed worth investing in their space. What was the point of painting or putting in a new window or repairing the roof? 
It seemed more practical to let the paint chip and board up the window that's been broken and put a temporary patch on the roof that keep, to keep most of the rain out or place buckets under the drips or both. In 20 years, can you imagine what became of their villages? Can you imagine what it might have been like without hope in the future to have just done the bare minimum to get by? Can you imagine what it felt like to live in such a place, watching your home decay around you? Without hope, all power in the moment was lost. All ability to create something, to create life of beauty and care, was taken. People stopped taking care of their homes. People stopped taking care of their village. People stopped taking care. How can one live in such a condition? How can one find a reason to get up each day when all power seems gone and all hopes seem dashed? How can hope be restored when it feels it has been destroyed. This is why this day is so important. Why we need today so badly in our collective story. Why we must believe that there will be an Easter coming when we are met with the Good Fridays of our lives. We all know they will come. They have come. They'll keep coming in all shapes and sizes, moments of terror and despair, moments of darkness and doubt, when we question our journey and where it seems to be taking us, when a huge obstacle comes out of nowhere and changes our course, when everything we've been working towards feels ripped from our grasp, when something or someone we've held so dear dies. We need to know that the sun will rise in the morning, that love will come from someone around us, that hope can be restored, that resurrection is coming. Only with this faith Can we find the strength to descend into the sorrow of loss and the fear of unknowing? Only then can we go into that tomb and know that we can find our way out again. Those among us who live with depression know this truth perhaps better than most. Professor, author, and womanist theologian Monica Coleman is best known for her book, Making a Way Out of No Way, in which she outlines a womanist liberation theology that brims with tenacity and courage and resilience. She is successful. Few would have guessed that she suffered from chronic, severe depression before she published a more recent book, Not Alone, Reflections on Faith and Depression. 
She writes, I am one and I know others who live many everyday moments closer to death than most people around us might imagine. The possibility of death is not far away. This is no philosophical lament about the finitude implicit in human morality. Rather, it's sometimes frightening and disturbingly ordinary in the texture of our lives. That death looms near is sometimes a product of our social and economic and geographical and age-related realities. We see loved ones and strangers around us transitioning both peacefully or with great resistance to the space beyond life. Other times the threat of death is an unfortunate though known consequence of the decisions that we make as we take stances for justice, love, inclusion, humanity, and earth. And there are the instances when the threat of death comes from within. When death can seem a welcome respite from the weariness of trying to subsist in the midst of desperation. When the loss of community, family, and sense of self comes faster and easier than the tenacity to hold on and build community, family, and soul. Yes, she writes, I'm talking about suicide here. And even if our God is not, a, not personal or loving or transcendent or speaking to us, something outside of us and greater than us and yet deeply within us moves us individually and communally to cling to the life side of the cliff. Even for a minister and scholar and questioning person of faith like myself, resurrection matters. Resurrection is everything. Have you discovered yet how smart possums are? The animals that play dead, that stop all movement when danger is near and go into themselves for a moment before resurrecting themselves. But that's not the only reason why I think they're so smart. They spend a good deal of their lives in holes that they have not dug. They are nomadic and find shelter along roots while searching for a substance. Subsistence. Hmm. Before they go into a hole, however, they make sure to determine whether it is occupied, for it is not safe to enter a hole that has an occupant. So they check for tracks. They count the tracks to make sure that there is the same number going in as there are coming back out. They make sure that all those who've gone before have found their way to the exit before they enter. Only then do they know that it is safe to venture into the dark and unknown burrow. Only when they know that the last occupant has found their way out of the, that darkness, out of, the, out of the fearful unknown, can the possum know that they will find their own way out. We all have stories of trying times when we have 
strive to stay hopeful. When all looked bleak and we kept on and found a way through. When something awful happens and we have to find a way to continue to believe that the good will come. I have plenty of such stories. When my course was changed and my hopes dashed. One such story brought me to you. One such story will take me away. Both broke my heart. And while I don't know what's ahead of me now, though there is much doubt surrounding me and sometimes I feel lost, the story that brought me to you is my comfort and my strength. Where I ended up heading was more beautiful and powerful than where I first thought I was going. When all seemed lost, you were there. You renewed me. You sent the revival I needed into me. You gave me what I needed to resurrect myself. When a mine collapsed in 2010 in Chile, it was 17 days before we knew that 33 men were alive and trapped inside. Do you all remember that story? It's a hard one to forget. Can you imagine what it might have felt like for 17 days in darkness, unable to count the days, buried in close quarters with 32 new close friends, hungry and thirsty? Can you imagine what might have kept them going? What might have gotten them through those first cold, hard days and nights? Can you imagine the glimmers of hope being reborn when contact was made with rescuers? When the way was still unknown, but what was known was that they were not alone down there. There was help trying to come. When there was not certainty about what the best course of action would be, and any course may have resulted in burying the surviving men, crushing them to death more quickly than the starvation and dehydration that would otherwise be their fate. Do you remember the images that covered the news? The messages of hope and courage? The people trapped in their own tomb wishing to send messages of love to their families? And do you remember that collective sigh of relief that was taken around the world when they were rescued, after 69 days when they made it out alive? I remember watching that story. We watched it together, riveted, to see once more whether hope would win over fear, whether resurrection was possible, whether hope would prove false. Though we know, as it was said in one of my favorite speeches of all time, spoken by our nation's current president, in the unlikely story of America, there's never been anything false about hope. In the countless stories from throughout humanity's history, 
so many stories. We've learned time and time again that there's nothing false about hope. In fact, hope can never be false. It can be frail sometimes, but it is very, very hard to kill. For whether you reach the goals you set out to reach or not, hope can carry you through. Courage and faith will walk with you on some new road. While I relish the truth that our reading pointed out that we will never know where all of our strength comes from, I do know where at least some of my strength comes from. It comes from my hope, my faith, my belief in myself and in my journey, my knowing deep in my bones that I am not alone. And all of these parts of me have been strengthened by being here with this church community. Have any of you found that too? Have any of you found that hope restores your hope sometimes? Anyone? Come on. My faith does not tell me that the dead will surely rise or that the Easter that comes will look exactly like I hoped it would. It does tell me that if I persevere, if I walk through the sorrow and doubt mindfully and with hope for what will come, then I will find rebirth. When we allow ourselves our Good Fridays, our sorrows, our griefs, our depths of despair, our needed time in the tomb, And yet, we find the incredible resilience in our human spirit and strength beyond our knowing within us. And we foster those kernels of hope into power to bring about our own transformation. It is then we make our own resurrection. When we remember amidst whatever comes that we are of such value. And we continue to approach our lives remembering what we value most. And we feel the fear and doubt without being overcome by it. Then the power we can find is unbelievably magnificent. Power to completely transform our lives, to move forward into our own new dawn. This is what today is all about. Reminding us each year that anything is possible, that wonder and joy and mercy and miracles of all sorts are possible when we believe, when we believe in ourselves, when we believe in our journey, even as it twists and turns and becomes overrun with thickets and thorn bushes, perhaps as often as the sun shines down on us and the smell of jasmine and huckleberry bushes kiss our noses. The power we can create with our faith in this day is astounding. And it's ours 
to take. Otherwise, we waste it. This beautiful morning came. Let it bring faith to guide our journey home. Wherever home is, even when it's not where we expect it will be. Each moment is full of wonder, mysterious and awe-inspiring. Our new niece was born this weekend, for example. And we all lived another day. And someone's prayers were answered. And their fears heard by an understanding friend. And someone in need, their love was returned. And crocuses broke through the hard ground and reached up towards the sun. Let us rejoice in beauty, and it's renewing each moment. Let it bring faith to guide us, to walk with us when we cannot see our way through, when it feels we have to make a way out of no way. Let us celebrate our own power to grow and heal and embrace and love. Let us celebrate our resurrections, each and every one, today and always. May it be so, and amen.